I never dreamed how much I would actually enjoy podcasting. When it was first suggested to me, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by the thought. But when I found Anchor, I quickly realized how easy this was going to be. Anchor provides me with the tools to record and edit right within their program. I don't need additional software. I didn't even need to know how to distribute the podcast because they do it all for me. I would not be where I am today as a podcaster without Anchor. It's all you need and completely free. If you are looking to get started, download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. How do I explain this abuse to friends and family who just don't get it? How do I tell them? People who I really, truly want them to understand. People who I just, I want them to know why I've done some of what I've done. I want them to hear my side of the story. I want them to see. I want them to to think better of me. I understand that intense drive to explain it to other people. You want them to know you. You want them to hear you. You want them to feel what you've gone through. You want that validation and you want it from people who you care about. I'm going to give you a couple of analogies today, one to better explain why they just won't get it, and one that you can use and explain it to them to a certain degree. I will tell you now that you cannot truly explain this to someone who has never lived it. They just won't fully get it, not entirely. Can they sympathize with you? Yes, if they are empathetic people, but they still won't entirely understand. And that's okay. They don't have to. You have nothing to prove to anyone. Please know that those who have not lived covert narcissism are not going to truly get it. Not entirely. I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. And I'm so glad that you are here with us today. My audience is growing by incredible numbers. And I'm really, you know, blown away away by it. And I'm really excited about it. Please continue to help educate our world and share this with those who need it. Before we get started, I want to make sure that you know that registration is now open for the next round of group coaching. This six-week program is a culmination of all the work that I have been doing for so many years. Covert narcissism, like we're talking about, is impossible to really truly explain to anyone who doesn't get it, who has never lived it. And trying to do so will make you feel crazy. You feel petty and trivial, and we're going to talk about that today, and it leads to defensiveness and even more self-doubt. But in these group sessions, you don't have to explain it. These are people who get it. These are nine other victims. I take 10 total in any group. So they, you don't have to over explain. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to be guarded. It's okay. These people are there and it is a life-changing amount of validation and clarity. Finally, you realize you're no longer alone in this world and it's a place where you can open up and share and feel that support. These groups do fill up. So do not hesitate to grab your spot for more information and to register for your place in the group. Go to my website at www.covertnarcissism.com. I really, truly hope to find you there and to see you there. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Now let's get started. At different stages of this journey with covert narcissism, you may feel extremely compelled to explain all of this 
to your friends, your family, um, even coworkers, people who have seen you kind of just fall apart under all of this, even a new love interest, you can just really truly want to explain it to them. And, and you may feel that this would better connect you or allow them to understand you more. And these are reasonable thoughts. However, it, it might not work out so well. And, and I want you to imagine for a minute that you are a, a scientist. Let's say you're a physicist. And, and your friend is a biologist. So two different fields of science. And these fields are different, but they still would have some common ground. Well, now when you're with this friend, you can talk to them kind of safely within the language of, of science to an extent. And in physics, you know, you can talk to them about your physics world in a way that you can't to some other people. You can explain things to them in greater detail of some of the work that you were doing and they would be able to understand it. In fact, they could probably contribute to the conversation quite well and explain some of their field and their perspective. Now imagine that this other person, this other friend instead is a hairstylist. You would not be able to go into as much depth in your conversation on physics. Now there's nothing wrong with this, it's just simple reality. If you do go into depth on physics, they're likely gonna be maybe incredibly bored or they're gonna be lost in the conversation or maybe they think you're kind of weird, I don't know. On the same note, they're probably not going to go into as much detail with you about hairstyles and the techniques they use to get to these different hairstyles. Again, there is nothing wrong with this, it's just reality. You will have to find other common ground to talk about. Well, just like a physicist trying to explain something sciencey to a hairstylist, if the person you are talking to does not know about covert narcissism, you may have a really hard time explaining it to them. When you find someone who does get it, who does understand some to an extent, maybe because of a relationship with their parent or a spouse or a coworker, they've got some understanding of living it, you will know it. Simply by the way someone talks on this topic tells me whether they truly get it or not. So what do we do about those who we really want to understand, but just seem to not be able to? I actually get asked this quite a bit, and I want to give you an analogy here that will maybe perhaps help you out. I want you to think about when you were in school, maybe let's say middle school, and you had a team project, but there were only two teammates, you and this other person. And this other person, you know, did you ever have a time when your teammate just didn't hold up their end of the task? Let's talk this analogy out. Let's say, you know, you try to work with them, but they just aren't productive or even cooperative. So let's see how this plays out. Maybe you try to work on plans as to when you can meet. That's a good place to start. But, you know, they can't do this day or that day. They have all sorts of reasons or excuses, or maybe even they make the appointment with you to meet and they just don't show up or they, they text you right ahead of time. I can't be there. They don't offer other days to you, but they just wait on you to fix this. They don't call you or text you. They don't communicate with you except to tell you that, you know, none of what you are doing or trying to do is working. And so that's about the only communication you get from them. They do not offer, you know, any genuine attempts of their own. And there's no flexibility and no compromise. They just wait for you to do all the work of, you know, scheduling this time when you could get together. So you do all the work. 
you know, you work and you find a time to meet. You try this, you try that. You keep reaching out to them, constantly adjusting your schedule to meet their, you know, schedule, making all sorts of accommodations on your end. But you finally manage to meet. By the time you even meet, you're kind of already a little frustrated and a little tired. But that's okay. Finally, finally, we get to meet. Finally, we can go forward with this project. And so you meet, you try to make a plan for the project, but they won't make any decisions about what to do. They just kind of leave all of that up to you. Yet they complain about every idea or decision and tell you how bad of an idea it is or why it won't work. But you go forward, you keep pushing forward, you make a plan. And you find yourself maybe approaching them gently with the ideas that you have, wording things in ways that you hope they will like because you really need their help. And you try to like talk to them in ways that will make them feel good about themselves so that they can be cooperative with you. The focus on the project itself gradually, you know, just gets pushed away and it becomes a focus on how to get them to carry their weight of the project. Then you begin the work. And, you know, they have their part to do and you have yours. You've kind of divvied up assignments, if you will. And being a hard worker, you dig in. You cover your piece to the absolute best of your ability. Now you meet with your teammate. And your teammate has done nearly nothing, almost nothing. They might have done just enough to do a little bit of something, but it's pretty close to near nothing. And maybe they show up, I'll give you an example with like, they found a really good book to use and they have this book with them. And this is a really good book that's going to help so much on our project. I haven't read any of it yet, but, but, but I've got it. I've got it in my hands. And they ask you, isn't this a great book to use for this? Aren't you so glad that I found it? And they ask this not just once, but like about 10 times because they need you to validate how good they were about finding that book. And you tell them, you know, hey, we need to be a little further along on this. When do you think you can do some of the research now? Oh, they kind of go, okay, well, look at how valuable this book is going to be to us. And they shift it back into that book. You know, look what it's all about. Aren't you so glad I found it? And they never actually answer your question. The whole work time goes by and you literally have no idea when or if they're actually going to do any of the work. And if you ask them about it, they go, yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. I heard you. But again, they still never actually give you any indication that they're going to do the work. Now, in the meantime, you know, you have done a large chunk of work as you're going through these, these meetings with them and you show them the research you have and whatever work you've begun on this project, you know, demonstration or whatever it is you're building. And, you know, you just, this is going on in the meetings, but now you're realizing that they're not getting their work done. And so you're actually going beyond your own work and kind of doing more than your fair share and starting to try to pick up the slack on their end because time is starting to run out. And then in the evenings, you know, you're later in the day, you're with your classmates socially and your teammates there and they bring up the topic of this project and they start telling you about how great it is and how far they start telling, sorry, your classmates, how far you, you know, we are on this project and how great it is. We have done so much. You should see how good it is so far. And this is what they start telling their classmates. We have all of this great research done and even started building a project piece. And I found this really great book that's just helping out so much. And on the inside, you're going, wait, 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 what? You object that they haven't even done anything and that you're the one doing all the work. But now you look 
petty. You look crazy. They turn it, in fact, just enough to really truly make you look defensive. And they're like, well, no, I got this book. Look at all the work I've done. And, and look, and, the, and they're master manipulators to keep turning it to where you're now defending yourself to your classmates and your classmates have no idea what's been going on. And we're going to talk about that near the end of this analogy. So you just shut up. This continues throughout the whole project, but you really want to do good on this project. So you dig in and you keep working harder. It's a tough project, time consuming, and you really need your teammates help. So you continue trying so hard to talk in positive terms with them. You know, you try to, you try to use positive words, being a cheerleader for the tiny steps that they are taking in hopes that they will continue being more productive. Like, you know, if I boost them up on this, maybe they'll go further and they'll do more work. And so now not only are you working on all this project, you're also pouring your time and energy into trying to, you know, boost them along and help them along. You put up with all of their attempts to make, you know, major decisions about this project, even though they have no idea what they're talking about because they are not the ones that have been doing all the work. So they come in with this great idea going, hey, we really should do it this way. Well, the we means you, and you know that this way will never work. And not only that, it's going to take about 10 times longer and it's still not the best way to do it but they are persistent and demanding about it. And you're trying to, you know, encourage them to be a part of the project. So you give in. And once again, you're the one doing all the work and giving all the effort and they, you know, they don't do any of it, but yet they have another thing to brag about because this was their wonderful idea. By the time you turn in the project, you have done 90% of the work or more. You have worked so incredibly hard. Now you might be proud of the work you've done and that's not a bad thing. You know, you're a good student and you're proud of the work you've done, but you are frustrated at their lack of effort. But you know, once again, you're willing to move forward and make the most out of it. All right. We, we can go forward knowing that, you know, you had so much to do. You might even find yourself grateful for the 10% that they did. You know, those are the breadcrumbs that we talk about in these episodes. And let me preface all of this with the teammate looks like the most amazing student ever because they have been doing this over and over, you know, probably with you, if you've been a long-term teammate with them, they have built the reputation of being hardworking and so cooperative by their own narratives over the years. And no one knows unless they've been on the inside of that. No one knows the truth unless they've been the teammate with them. Anyone who has tried to call them out on it has been made to look like a complainer and a problem. So you end up with this little small club that understands. Everyone else thinks that they're a great teammate and this great student. And they always get all these good grades and, and look at all the wonderful projects because they see the final project, the, the, the product that's done at the end. So when you get the project back, let's go a step further. You don't get a good enough grade for this wonderful teammate of yours. You get a 90 maybe instead of a hundred. It's a lower grade than what is acceptable for this, you know, quote, amazing and hardworking person. So they complain to you and to everyone that is, well, it's all your fault that the grade wasn't high enough. They blame it all on you. And they tell you to your face, look, we got points off here and you did that part. So that's on you. What were you thinking there? You should have done that part better. And here's the problem. You did do that part because you did all the parts. 
being the good student that you are, you realize, you know, yeah, actually I could have done that part better and I probably should have. Why didn't I? I do better work than that. And you start internalizing it. They are right. This is on me. Why didn't I see that? And you start putting in more effort. You completely forget the fact that you were doing all of the work. You didn't do better because you didn't have any space left within you to do better. You didn't have any more time or energy or or effort or resources. Not only that, but they were working against you every step of the way. Undermining every attempt that you made and, and making your job harder. Not just being absent, being counterproductive. Add one more piece to this. You really want this teammate to be a good teammate because you are stuck with them for many, many projects. You want them to learn how to do better because you're going to have to work with them for a long time. You want them to succeed. So you continue to work hard, not only to do a great job on all the projects, but also to help them to get better. However, they refuse to learn. And they do this over and over and over. They get really good at writing on all of your hard work, doing nothing of their own, taking credit for it all the time and blaming you for any and every bad result. This is life with a covert narcissist. This is everyday life on everything from simple things like what are we going to have for dinner or who's going to the grocery store? or on bigger things such as where to go on family vacation and how to get it booked or which house to buy. Let me point out here that they will often do the bigger things themselves. You know, what what job to take or where to live or, you know, big decisions about the kids in college. These jobs are worthy of their great intelligence and valuable time. This is like the teammate who didn't do any of the work with you, but yet they're the ones that want to present the project. Because that's the part that gets seen. All of the other stuff is beneath them. When you are in these relationships for years, decades, your own right to be human is stripped from you. You aren't allowed to make mistakes. I don't even like calling them mistakes, honestly. They're not mistakes. They're mistakes in the covert narcissist eyes, but they aren't actually mistakes. It's just you doing life the way you want to do life, but you aren't allowed to. Anything that they interpret as less than their version of perfect at any given point in time is a major violation and all your fault. You are not allowed to do anything that you might possibly have said, I could do this better or their version of better, which by the way is constantly changing. You have to be perfect to whatever their perfect is at any given moment on any given day. Over time, this erases you. You can't exist outside of them. Everything you do is measured against, you know, them as your yardstick. Every activity, every decision, every conversation, every word you say, every thought you have. It's like some weird parent-child type relationship. It is not equal footing. They envelop you from the inside out, constantly being made to believe that your choices, decisions, and actions are inferior and unacceptable, and that they are wonderful and amazing. 
And you have to start living in a way that supports this fantasy of theirs or your life is miserable. So how do, how do you talk to someone that you truly want them to understand when they don't get it? You know, someone who gets it, you know they get it. Because you, you when that conversation starts opening up, you know they've lived it because of the way they talk. But what about those who haven't lived it? It is okay to talk to them. It is okay to look to them for some sympathy and empathy. But only if they are empathetic people. It's the difference between someone saying things like, you know, that really sucks. I am sorry that they treated you like that. Or somebody saying, well, I'm sure they had a reason. Maybe you misunderstood them. What? Those are the ones you walk away from. It's the difference between someone saying, well, that must have hurt. I can really see how that would have upset you. Or someone saying, well, I'm sure they didn't mean it that way. It's the difference between, you know, someone saying you shouldn't be talked to like that ever, let alone by someone who loves you or says that they do. Or somebody saying, well, you should forgive them and just move on. It's, it's okay. People who empathize may not understand covert narcissism, but they know how to genuinely respond to you with compassion. These are people you can talk with and open up to if you need. They create a safe environment for that. But the people who make excuses or tell you what you should do or not do, they are the ones that, you know, you don't need to be talking to them about any of this. That conversation will be triggering, frustrating, and exhausting. In fact, it's a lot like trying to have a conversation with your abuser. If the person you're trying to talk to doesn't get it, walk away. Doesn't get it and doesn't offer empathy. Walk away. Quit trying to explain it to them. You can be friends with them, but find other topics to talk about. Find other ways to connect with them. Learn to see the difference and listen to your heart. How do I feel when I'm talking with this person? Do, do you feel that you, they are truly trying to understand and that they support you? Or do you feel the same defensiveness inside of you that you've been living all of this time? Remember, you do not owe an explanation to anyone. You have nothing to prove and do not need to defend yourself to anyone. It truly does not matter what anyone else thinks of you. Those who will not show you empathy and compassion do not need your time in that way. That is their problem, not yours. Those who do offer emotional safety to you and give you the space to talk about it or not talk about it as you need, those are the ones to hang on to. Those are the ones to lean on. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.